0: au quotidien c'est certain oui
1: Is a
2: fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. It is a dimension
1: as vast as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition,
2: and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. It is an area which we call the mystical underground. This week, we're taking a time machine back to March of 2020 and a conversation with Whitley Strieber. Welcome to the Mystical Underground. Thanks for joining us. This is Rob McGregor and Trish McGregor and our tech magician, John Posey. The Mystical Underground is a place where the weird and the wonderful flourish, where ideas that are contrary to mainstream materialistic science are explored and the mundane everyday (coughs) world takes a back seat. You can go to our website, Phenomena111.com, to find out about our nonfiction books, including the most recent one, Phenomena, Harnessing Your Psychic Abilities, and you can go to uh, visit our blog at blog.synchrosecrets.com,
0: where we make regular posts. Okay, UFOs are a subject of interest in the mystical underground. Like paranormal phenomena, mainstream science doesn't really accept the idea that beings from other planets or from other dimensions are visiting Earth. Yet we've all heard the stories of sightings of mysterious crafts, many of them seen by multiple witnesses over the decades. <clears throat> One of the most fascinating, puzzling, and frightening aspects of the UFO phenomena is the alien <coughs> excuse me, abduction experience. The first widely publicized report of an alien abduction was the Betty and Barney Hill case, But probably the best known case, and it's really an ongoing case, of encounters with so-called visitors is the one involving our guest today, Whitley Streeper.
2: It's great to have you on our show, Whitley, after uh, we have appeared on Unknown Country a number of times. And every time we've been on your show, we've wanted to start asking you questions about your experiences, (laughs) but you've always kept the focus on the matter at hand. So now we have our chance. (laughs) Welcome. Well, thank you very much for, (laughs) for having me
0: on. Um, okay. We're assuming that most listeners know that your original experience through your best-selling book, uh, Communion, or the related movie starring Christopher Walken, but can you give us a summary of the experience? Because I think people people would really like to hear it in your own words. Yeah, I
1: think that's true, too. Of the original experience? Yes. Yeah. Back before most of your listeners and you were born. Sure. Um, the um event happened in december of 1985 there had been some preliminary events that i had not um really in- connected with this at all because this wasn't a subject of any interest to me at all not 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 i i didn't i never Considered the idea of aliens coming down out of like saucers, coming after people.
0: <laughs> was it an interest of Anne's?
1: No, not at all. No, we never discussed. In fact, I got an an email from a friend a year or two ago, saying that. Um, um, he remembered that when this subject was brought up, we used to have very wide-ranging discussions, and the subject came up once or twice. And I would always just say I wasn't interested. Um, And, you know, we just never discussed it. So Mm -hmm. when I opened my eyes, because there was a noise around me on the night of December the 26th, 1985, and saw that I was in a strange room, not in my own bedroom, and it was full of what I would describe as creatures out of one of my own novel, my own art <laughs> oh, novels. God. I was naturally quite shocked. Um, I was, a, a, unable to understand what was happening, it, it, but not completely because this had been in my life as a, when I was a child, I just didn't remember <laughs> it. And I, um,
0: um, uh, you referring to the Secret school?
1: Well, yeah, I'm referring to the book, The Secret School. Uh-huh. In any case, I woke up and I had uh, this uh, seeing these bizarre things, I kept trying to wake myself up again, and, and <laughs> because I thought I must be in my own bed, I must be dreaming. And then I heard a voice start to say, in the very gentle, female, but quite mechanical voice start to say, what can we do to help you stop screaming <laughs> big, again and again? And then I realized this was real. I was not in my bed. This was not a dream. And here I was in this room full of, uh, these bizarre entities in two forms. One of them were willowy, um, big headed, big black eyes. And the others were short and Running around very quickly um, and more more uh, troll-like and dark blue, <clears throat> and you know I would you talk about being thrown for a loop? <laughs> I did not know what in the world to make of it, and and yet there I was, and uh, you know I had a uh, hard time uh, in there. They put put a thing in my uh, uh, side of my head, a needle, and they uh, uh, stuck a what became a national or an international joke, a a device up my anus, which caused me to have an erection, which in those days was a, I didn't know it even existed, (laughs) but it was a type of device that was used in, uh, in cases of sexual dysfunction. This was long before Viagra or anything like that. Mm. And it would stimulate the vagus nerve and cause an erection. And I had this happen. And I was just, you know, talk about being violated. God. I had the additional violation. I call it an extended rape because I was raped that night so badly that it was about 25 years before I got the scars stopped bothering me. Wow. Hmm. And yet, the, but the extended rape was all of the laughter that still goes on to this <clears throat> day. That's why I kind of, one of the reasons I keep kind of a low profile, I don't like being laughed at. Especially, <laughs> I mean, who does, but especially every time somebody laughs at it, it brings it all back again as if it was just happening again. And it's horrible. It's yeah. like being raped again. So every time you hear someone laughing at me on the air, you know what I'm going through. Wow.
0: Yeah. That's... <coughs> Whitley, the... I, wait, I have, I have a comment. Willie, what I don't understand is how you were able to go from that experience to the place you are now, where you, you know, you, your whole, everything has changed for you. Everything has been transformed. I mean, we both read your new book, The New World. And how did your consciousness, how, how were you able to incorporate all this into who you are?
1: Well, <laughs> 30 years of living with the visitors God. because I I tell you, you know, I had a choice it, after it happened, right after it happened, I was completely thrown at the next morning. I thought an owl had gotten into the house because of the big eyes I'd seen. I was trying to integrate all of this and not mm-hmm. very successfully. And, um, then over that afternoon we were out cross country skiing and I began to feel pain in my body. And then, uh, I started writing a short story the the next couple of days called pain. And Hmm. it was about, because it was about, I was experiencing this sense of having been somehow overwhelmed in a way that I couldn't understand. So, uh, then I, began to think that I must've had a psychotic break as the memories became a little clearer over the few days. And I finally went to my doctor and I described what I remembered at that point, which was basically, and he's, he's, he responded to the description. He says, quickly, it sounds like you're telling me you were taken aboard a flying saucer by a little (laughs) man?" I said, Tom, I know it sounds like that. And that's why I'm here. He said, well, this is the right place to be. I'm going to send you to, a, to two people. I'm going to send you to a neurologist and a psychiatrist because we need to see first if there's some kind of organic problem and second, if there isn't, then what is going on in that big brain of yours? And I said, well, that makes a lot of sense. And so I went to the, um, to the neuros, neur- it was a neurologist and got an MRI and my brain was fine, nothing wrong. And. Then I took a whole long battery of psychological tests, which you can see on my. I think they, they might be on my website on unknowncountry.com. I'm not really sure. The lie detector tests I later took are mm-hmm. there, though. So I I know that. Anyway, I took all these tests, and the psycho not a psychiatrist, the psychologist said, Whitley, you are under tremendous stress, but you're not. There's nothing wrong with you. You're not. Uh, you don't show any sign of any psychological problems at all. In fact, it, 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 if anything, you're psychologically quite normal, highly mm. intelligent, and highly stressed. Those are the two unusual findings. Mm. So then I took a test for temporal lobe epilepsy because that that could cause hallucinations. Mm-hmm. And I was uh, not only did I not have temporal lobe epilepsy, I had an extremely stable brain. A brain that could not even be induced to 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 show seizure-like reactions with intense intervention by 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 uh, during the test. So I left was left with only one answer: it had happened. Hmm. And I thought, wow. (laughs) I remember. I'll never forget. I I was fighting with Anne because my wife. Because I was telling her, I was thinking. You know. If I'm crazy, she's stuck with a lunatic unless we get a divorce. (laughs) She can't have her her breadwinner in a hospital and not be able to divorce me because I'm not mentally competent. And so I was trying to get get her to to leave me. Hmm. I wouldn't divorce her. I couldn't do it. But she wouldn't leave me either. We were very (laughs) much in love. So I finally sat her down and I said, look, honey, I don't know how to tell you this. Except just say it straight out, I think I was taken aboard a flying saucer by little men, and I think that's what the problem has been. Mm -hmm. And she looked at me, and I looked at her, and she said, oh, thank God, I thought you were going crazy. (laughs) (laughs) And we looked at each other, just burst out laughing. And that's really the moment the rest of our life started, because then I thought to myself, they were real. They're real.
2: Hmm. Whatever they are, they're real. So how long after that event did you decide that you wanted to write a book about it?
1: It uh, That event happened in uh, December. I I, I started writing in mid-March. But before I started writing, I started going out in February after I realized it had happened. And it was real. I started going out in the woods again to the back to the place I was pretty sure they'd taken me from to, to make a statement that, you know, hey, I'm here mm-hmm. and you were interested in me a few weeks ago. So I'm back. and <laughs> You want me in your if you I'm interested. I'm interested in you. And uh, you talking about scary. I won't lie. That was real scary to do that. It was almost impossible to put one foot in front of the other because, (laughs)
0: and you were alone and didn't go with you, right?
1: Uh, no, we discussed that. And she said, look, (laughs) obviously we have a child. And so one of us is going (laughs) to stay at home and I'm not flipping any coins, honey, you're going (laughs) on your own. But she was, she definitely felt it was the right thing to do. And I said, you know, I I could not come back. And Mm. she said, but Whitley, you and I know that this is an incredible thing. I mean, at the time we didn't know it ever happened to anybody else.
0: Hmm. Yeah.
1: We had no idea. So that was kind of the way it started. Uh, there is a little thing though, that I don't talk about much that I'm going to add here. And that is after communion was published the next year, a friend of mine who lived down the road, uh, was, uh, Uh, Was uh, 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 read the book, read Communion, Mm -hmm. and he came over to the house. He was a retired state police, state trooper. And he said, Whitley, you know, I have something, a kind of confession to make. Uh, The truth is, I have, uh, I think I saw this happen to you. Oh, my God. Uh, And I said, really? And he said, well, my wife and I were driving down a nearby road. It was about two o'clock in the morning. It was, they were coming home from a Christmas party and they saw what they took to be a blimp in a field near our houses, about a mile, maybe not even a mile from our houses. And he pulled over because, you know, he felt you know, there shouldn't be a blimp at two o'clock in the morning <laughs> out in the woods in upstate New York in the snow. <laughs> and he better stop and see if he could help these people, whoever was in it. Yeah. And he got out of the car and <clears throat> climbed over the fence. It's just a little fence. There's hardly anything to climb over and, um, walked toward it. And he could hear someone screaming inside. Oh my gosh. And he began to run toward it whereupon it began it blazed up with lights and made a growling noise and started moving toward him. Hmm. His wife in the car behind him went berserk. He could hear her screaming too. Hmm. And so he ran back to the car and got in and drove off. And he said, you know, Whitley, I did not know what had happened, but now I do. And I'm, I I feel I should have helped you. I said to him, how could you have helped (laughs) you? You did the right thing, man. Get out of there. I mean, you don't want to fool. I mean, no telling what they might have done. Well, see, so there were witnesses then in that sense. That's they were incredible. I'm oh, sure they were. They were witnesses in yeah. the Hudson Valley UFO. Right. Flap, one of the great right. UFO right. flaps of all times was still sort of sporadically going on mm-hmm. 30 miles away in, in, in Dutchess County. I didn't even know it. <clears throat>
2: Yeah. Hmm. When your book came out that cover illustration on communion of a gray being is it's now embedded in our collective minds it's an a cultural it's icon like a of sorts. archetype. Yeah. And um, do you think this the strong reaction to that cover was because it possibly triggered a collective memory? Uh, first I want to mention that we saw first saw your book I think we were in New York. No. Uh, we were in Fort Lauderdale. Fort Lauderdale. We walked
0: into a little professor, I think it was, yeah. or a Walden's. and the,
2: the whole front was covered with your, uh, the front window was covered with your book. Uh, and we, you know, and we, we, we knew immediately what this was about because probably about six, seven months ago, earlier, we had gone to, uh, we were at a covering a, a, UFO, a conference. UFO conference for Omni magazine. And we had... Talked to Bud Hopkins, and Bud said, There is a famous author who is going to uh, have a story coming out within the next year. I'm not going to tell you his name,
0: but, but it this is, is mind blowing. It's mind
2: blowing. <laughs> it's going to change everything. And uh, it has.
0: <laughs> Betty Hill was there too. Yeah, <laughs>
2: that was quite, quite, an, quite an event. And there were only about 100 people or so in that uh,
0: little event. Then we saw Bud Hopkins address d- somebody. <laughs>
2: yeah strange. we we took uh, Bud Hopkins to a uh, somebody who is, uh, had called in on the, a radio station and uh, about uh, her abduction. And so we drove him there and spent the uh, time with him watching him take her back. So that
0: was interesting. But I still remember Whitley walking into the into that bookstore and seeing that, I thought, oh my God, this is a book I've been waiting for all my life. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so do you think it did trigger like a collective memory possibly? and is that possible?
1: Uh, a collective memory? Well, the book did. Yeah. Mainly the cover. The,
0: the yeah, that's, that's what meant, so, yeah. The face,
1: know. Bud. Bud hated the face. He said, it's too, the head's too small. It, top of the head's too small. <laughs> and I, I said, well, but, but it's a book cover. I mean, you know, we can't have a, we can't have a fold out with a gigantic head on it. <laughs> <laughs> he was, he was an artist, but not a, not like a graphics artist right. or a, and, and this, the expression and the feeling that you get from the face mm-hmm. is really right on the money. So it worked, and um. Uh, uh,
0: hmm. Now that yeah. book, I remember reading that 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 book had gotten got something like twelve rejections, and editors were telling you to stick to fiction.
1: I, I don't remember how many rejections it got. I was a respected author in those days. And I couldn't, you know, people, uh, my agent wouldn't have told me too much about the rejections. Uh-huh. Uh, he would He would have said that it was rejected from b- various publishers, but unless I'd specifically asked who, really? uh, yeah. he wouldn't. I, 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 so uh, if someone said 12 rejections, I can well believe it. And I may have <laughs> even said that I, because I may have heard it sometime yeah. from him, but I don't remember who they were.
2: Well, speaking of your fiction career at that time, uh, John, our uh, tech guy, has a question about uh, regarding the Wolfen. Uh, he wants to know if it was uh, written to be a modern take on the werewolf legend or an alien interdimensional being encounter in disguise, or both. Ooh, It's both. <laughs> it was written
1: to be a modern take on the werewolf story, uh-huh. but I I didn't know it was also written to be the second thing at uh-huh. the time uh-huh. i but if you think about it the grays are, are predatory they're brilliant uh, they they don't use technology they use their senses uh the they're, it, they're just like the wolfen uh-huh and they and they are the wolfen i mean the wolfen are the grays it, in effect hmm. yeah i didn't know it at the time yeah the next book, *The Hunger*. Miriam Blaylock is a tall, blonde, being that is at at this once very loving and very demanding and very dangerous. She's the blondes, and hmm. I've known some of the blondes, and they're they're interesting, but I wouldn't call them sweet. So <laughs> people who equate them with angels simply haven't met them. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so really, some of this, I think you've you've also explored all of this your experiences through fiction in a really interesting way.
1: Yeah. Well, I have explored it in fiction in different ways. Uh, the cat book, cat magic is a book about mm-hmm. the fairy world and the fairy lore is lore about the, what we now call the aliens. Mm. It's just a different culture, a different time in, in the world, <coughs> in the world. And we had a different, take on them then but it's the same beings yeah. and um, then uh, more recently hybrids is a take on on the idea of human alien hybridization something mm-hmm. I have seen I, and I know ex- is well I don't know if it's human alien hybridization but I do know that there are human beings who have been given powers that the greys have huh. and that that's the ones I have seen were having a lot of difficulty with that, mm. uh, and then there is a new the the recent work of fiction I did, which is about a uh, some some creatures who have uh, intelligence equal to the human.
0: Um, mm. Boy, I need and, to
1: catch up and, on your fiction, <laughs> and um, and and are found by a company in Sumatra that some babies are found when a forest is being clear cut Uh, and the mm. babies are brought back to the United States, smuggled out and brought back to the United States and raised in a isolated enclosed facility because it's realized that they're as smart as we are, but they have no rights because they're not human. And the Uh. company thinks we can sell these. They could be, Incredibly valuable because they would be impo- they would replace expensive complex robots. Oh, wow! What's the
0: name of this book?
1: New N E W. Oh,
0: okay. Oh. It's like a new world, but
1: just well. No, so, it's it has unfortunately similar yeah. titles, <laughs> but uh, but it's a it's a wonderful novel. And if you look at the reviews on Amazon, I mean, I think it's a wonderful novel. And I like all my novels. <laughs> I like so, my books. So I, they I love fun to book. write and they're hopefully fun to read. But why do
2: you think some people want to believe that all of your books are fiction?
1: Because <laughs> well, they're <laughs> Some of them are threatened. They're threatened. Yeah. But, that, uh, but, but you know, my my in over the arc of my experience of the Grays and of this whole phenomenon, there is the most there are more named witnesses in that experience mm-hmm. than in any other experience of its kind in history. Mm-hmm. And I include in that uh, the experiences uh, uh, reported in the past which were almost always reported by single individuals. Right. But, but, but at my cabin the visitors showed up for numbers of people at a time mm-hmm. and in complex experiences that were unmistakable <laughs> They weren't group hallucinations or anything like that right. because they would go from room to room, and, hmm. to, and and there is nothing like it in the world, nothing. And yeah, so, don't. people who want to say, "Well, it's all fiction," they're scared, or they're stupid, or they're just blind,
0: not imaginative yeah. enough. And, you detailed it you know, in your. Yeah. They haven't read the books. Yeah, uh-huh.
2: you detailed it in uh, the New World. Uh, with all the people who were there who were having these experiences. I didn't realize there were so many people that were around you at that time when these experiences were happening. Did Did something happen to Michael
0: Talbot when he was staying with you?
1: Yeah. Uh, we had a very interesting time. He, um, the old lady, as I used to call her, showed up at the door of the house and looked in the door at him early one morning and they were around because they, they used to, uh, they made, uh, they wrote my name in squash and other vegetables in the front yard (laughs) of a guy who who sold organic vegetables on a stand. And, and he said, Whitley, what's going on? Who did that? (laughs) I said, it happened overnight. And I, thought to myself, I'm not going to bother to say who I think did it, but it was very typical of them. They were, they're sort of jokey and very down to earth and don't consider themselves weird or strange. Like we, they have a completely different attitude toward them. So, um, um, I mean, they have a completely different attitude toward the way they
0: are. Uh And, um. Who was this old woman? was she was this just an appearance of one of the visitors?
1: Uh, yeah, no she was um, she was a uh, she was I, I guess she is uh, 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 she's some she's one of the grays as far as I mm-hmm. know. but you mm-hmm. know when you're with her, first she's physically much smaller than you would at mm-hmm. thought. And second, uh, she's, there's a shadow of humanity in her face, I guess I would say. She's not, I I wouldn't be surprised if you couldn't find some human DNA in her. Uh Hmm. Uh Is that
2: like that guy uh, out in the woods who is chain smoking all the time (laughs) who you
1: encountered? That guy was uh, a really creepy guy. And he followed us. He and the two men that were with him followed us to Texas when we lost the cabin and had to leave. Um, but they weren't grays, were they, were they? No, they they were. I don't know. You know, you're getting here into some really, really strange areas, Uh um, specifically that they were those two men. They, they were, basically, what happened was this: We noticed the boy, as I called him, although I think it was a, I was out walking in the woods, and I saw this kid sitting under some pitch pines, which are, you know, they're full of pitch, so they they tend to blow up at a moments' notice, and um, uh, smoking cigarettes. And I thought to myself, "This is not good." Um, and I. Uh, decided that I would walk over and tell him to stop, to move away from the pitch pines at least. And he he didn't. He, he just sat there staring off straight ahead and made this sort of growling noise as I hmm. approached and I started to talk. And then I thought, you know, I'm pretty far out here and this is, this is very strange. I'm not <laughs> sure what I'm dealing with here. Because up close he didn't look like a boy anymore. He looked right. like a man. Uh, he looked like someone who had stopped maturing at about age of eleven or twelve. Jeez. but was but you know, his face was weathered, but not mm. old. It was really strange. Mm. So uh, at least that's the way I perceived it. So I got out of there and then we began to notice cigarette smoke at the night in the night. In in you know we didn't smoke and we we're right out in the middle of nowhere so where was it coming from it was a real really nerve wracking, and Ann and I would go out and there would just hundreds of cigarette butts, right out in the woods behind our house. That's like Smoking Man <laughs> in the X Files. Uh, well, yeah, except he was Smoking Boy. Uh, <laughs> smoking Boy. Uh, so he, um, um, he uh, would uh, stand out there and it w- he would also the. The way the woods were, we had a swimming pool and then there was a little bluff and the woods in the summer completely greened up there. So there was like a wall of green you couldn't see under the trees Uh Uh because there were a lot of shrubs as well. And we used to go swimming, skinny dipping in the pool in in the evenings. Ann and I did because it was a very private place. No one could see us. And we were skinny dipping there one night and he started running up and down in those woods and gasping oh and God. breaking sticks and going on. <laughs> and, you know, we went back in the house because he was obviously very upset by this. And Ann said, you know, I think he's guarding us. Hmm. And, and hmm. we had, there had been some ominous rumors that people were planning to, they knew I went out in the woods at night and they were planning during hunting season to follow me and oh my shoot claim it was a hunting accident because people were scared of us. They were really scared of us in that area. These were not, these were simple people. And, you know, they were, we, we'd have people working in our place and they would see aliens or what they thought were aliens running past on the road and stuff. Oh and, God. you know, they just, uh, they did not, could not handle it well at all. I mean, it was like having the devil in, uh-huh. in, 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 in on a big ominous estate in their midst. And, you know, I, I'm no question if I had stayed there, they would have killed me eventually. Jeez. So, um, I got out of there and I had to anyway, cause we'd, we'd gone broke. Because you know, we had on the one hand, we had that kind of thing happening. and On the other hand, we had all the laughter from the probe right. jokes and, you know, people will buy a book by somebody who's controversial. They're not going to buy a book by somebody who's being laughed at cause people yeah. don't laugh at that's the most powerful way of destroying somebody there is. Mm-hmm. And after the, the pilot of South Park appeared uh, with uh, the guy who gets rectally probed, my, my life was over, essentially. They, wow. they murdered me. <clears throat> and uh, I've been since then struggling unremittingly at the edge of poverty. And, and I've had a bankruptcy in my life. It's been awful. Uh-huh. And no one will buy, like the book I talked about a minute ago, New it's sold maybe 500 copies. Mm-hmm. And you're talking to somebody whose books used to sell in the millions. Right. Yeah. And it's, and, and the other book, the new book, uh, new nonfiction. A New uh, World. That's a world. fabulous book.
2: It's a great book. That should have been it's, published by one of the top publishers.
1: No, they wouldn't t- touch it. Hmm. Uh, and uh, they wouldn't touch See, it. See, I, I think that's ignorance. I really do. It's ignorance. And also, that people, people are filled with deep anger. and if they have a way to to hurt someone and they mm-hmm. think they are justified, many people will do it. Yeah. God. And part
2: of the problem is the publishing industry. Those people are twenty five years old who yeah. are the uh, editors now and we're older. We have the same problem with our yeah. books
1: you know They
2: have no idea
1: about us and our world at all. No, No, none. They're clueless.
2: So your new book, which uh, updates your story over the past 35 years, uh, New World, is that title derived derived from uh, what a a being said telepathically to uh, Colonel Philip Corso about um, what they're offering us, a new world, if you can take it?
1: Yeah, uh, that's exactly right. Uh, when mm. Phil to- Corso told me that, I immediately thought this was an authentic experience. He has he a lot of what he writes. I it, it, God knows where it came from. Yeah, but but certain things in his books really resonate true, and that's mm-hmm. one of them. And the reason is that when the grays communicate with you, there's always a density in what they say. A new world, if you can take it means a lot of different things. It means a new world. If you can bear it, Mm -hmm. a new world, if you can pull it out of our hands, a new world, if you can understand it, it means a lot. And it's very typical of the kind of communication you get from them. Like, mm. I once asked them when I was in the middle of the communion experience, how am I doing? And <laughs> three of them showed up, and they, they don't speak much, but they did speak that time, and they all said something, but they all said it different, something different at exactly the same time, and I couldn't understand a word. <laughs> then they disappeared.
0: <clears throat> well, shoot. <should. laughs> Hmm. Um, now do you still I know that in your meditations which you do frequently you have a lot of contact with not just the, the visitors but also the dead and yeah. you and Anne after she had passed actually co-authored the book The Afterlife Re- Revolution which is another fantastic book so explain how that how what, how's that process work in meditation when you're well,
1: with I, Ann. Was I, I was um, I Ann and I joined the Gurdjieff Foundation, uh, which is based on a, the ideas of a Armenian uh, uh, teacher called George Gurdjieff, who lived in the ha- first half of the 20th century. And um, he believed that man was not awake, that we were without will and being moved through life from experience to experience, more or less automatically. Mm -hmm. And he developed a system to change that so that you don't live that way anymore, that you live out of your own real will rather than being, being lived. You live. And we were very taken with this and we were in in the foundation for about 15 years. Ah. And, um, then annie had a baby and you know we started our, our we started going more sporadically and then uh the visitors showed up and all of a sudden i had new teachers mm-hmm. because they showed and presented themselves once the dust settled and i began to understand they presented themselves as teachers
2: Hmm.
1: And um, that is how I have taken my life with them. And like all teachers, they're also students. Right. And they're very good at both things. Um, and, you know, so we're together now. I, I And regarding the dead, Annie is involved too, even though she's not physically alive. Uh-huh. The book Afterlife Revolution is a chronicle of of what happened after Annie passed away and we in fact in effect we wrote the book together
0: right
1: and it's it's full of all kinds of incredible things she said and uh, you guys were personally involved in it yes we were <laughs> <So> <laughs> in a time very for you to tell way. your story about the yeah. afterlife revolution okay. <clears throat> go
0: ahead I think she died on August 11th, was it, 2015? Yeah,
1: August of the 11th, 2015.
0: Right, okay. And so it was August 12th when I had heard about it, and I was writing you an email. And I said, I got to the point where I said, Whitley, if there's, you know that there's anything we can do. But when I wrote the word no, there was a tremendous explosion in our family room. Rob and I both leaped up. The dog jumped off the couch. We went, I mean, we thought... Something had blown up, you yeah, know, the, the television. Fam- or, the
2: family room was located right off our, both of our offices, and it was right out there. And
0: I mean, it, it was loud. It sounded like a transformer does when it blows.
2: Or the television falling over and blowing up. <laughs> I mean, it was right there, and, you know, n- nothing, uh, nothing. Nothing changed.
0: Was, everything was fine. So, Even the dog kind of looked around like, huh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, so I went back, and I finished my email to you and told you what had happened, and I said, was that Anne? And you said... It sure as hell was. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh yeah, uh, the the um, the. It, 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 there's no question about it because she would have been trying to contact you to get you to notice her.
0: Right, that's and a good way to do she, it. <laughs> well,
1: well, she, yeah, she she made herself known but that was not the only time there were many witnesses and the book goes, uh, it's a long list of people, but there I've never been certain of this, but I think that back in the nineties sometime, we were having elaborate and complex experiences with a group of seven people who were dead and living between the worlds and meditating with us every night. And they weren't, They were not, they were semi material. I mean, they would make noise and uh, come crashing down onto the roof of the meditation room uh, (laughs) right before the meditation at 11 every night. Hmm. And uh, then they would come through the ceiling into the room. You couldn't see them, but you knew they were there. Annie, you know, she could hear this. You know, there was all, you could hear them all over the house. They weren't, there was nothing, no attempt being made to be quiet. And she said, you know, Whitley, I think I'd like to do that too. (laughs) And she said, I said, come on in and meditate with us and you'll, you know, it's a lovely experience. And she came in and, you know, we sat and we prepared, did the sensing exercise that we learned in the Gurdjieff Foundation, which has been so important in all of this. And, uh, then the thuds came and she was okay with that, but then you could feel the presences in the room very clearly. Mm. And she said, "You know, actually, I'm not ready for this." <laughs> but I meditated with them until from uh, I think I think probably uh, June or July uh, until we lo- we left in October of that year. Mm. And um, uh, then the the whole entourage more or less followed me. The guy, the kid and the two weird guys uh-huh. that were with him showed up in Texas. And I, my meditational experience, uh, is now very, very, I mean, they show up every single night hmm. and I, and, and I think it's our dead who work with me uh-huh. that I don't think it's aliens or, or, or fairy right. folk or whatever they are. Or it may be a lot. I don't know. I don't really care. What but I it, do care about is that the work is strong. Right. And it, and and what specifically it is is facilitating the movement of impressions from first or physical body into second body, so that it will enrich the soul. Because the Ooh. soul, what happens is this: uh, first body the is the physical body and the chakras are what we now call chakras are mm. where the impressions of the of life are gathered and moved into the spinal column where they are accelerated and they enter second body and if you do this sensing exercise this process is enhanced Hmm. And when you pass on you you have a very rich second body wow, and I know people who are not in the physical world who are like this, and you know it's 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 my my hope to be too hmm. um, so i that's why I do it. I do it every night at eleven and it, now also they added three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Because, and they wake me up if I don't wake up like, like this morning, I woke up at two on my own and I thought, well, it's two, I'll do it now. So I went in the living room and sat in the chair I sit in and did the exercise for about a half an hour and then went back to bed. At three (laughs) o'clock, I was awakened. They had not been there at two, now they were. Hmm. and. So they woke me up by shaking my foot, I believe, as I recall. And, um, which is one of the ways they wake me up a lot. And, um, so could I went you see, could you see them? <laughs> yeah, I thought, you know, I, I was, I was too early. They weren't here. Now they are. they <laughs> I, I can't very well just to turn over and say, I already did it. Goodbye. Yeah. Right. I mean, I don't know who this is. I think it's probably Ann and, and mm-hmm. others that are have an interest in, in my welfare and my work. Uh, but I don't know any of that. I do know this, that it's valuable, very valuable. It is this is what
0: happens on, real your, blessing. on your group meditation, on your website
1: that you do? Well, I do the same thing. I do the uh-huh. sensing exercise and people show up. I also do it for free on uh, Thursday nights at 7 on YouTube, on YouTube Live, on my YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. It's just W Street where It's fo- easy to find, and a lot of people show up there because they're people who don't want to subscribe, or and you know we do a little bit more deep journey right. on the uh, on the subscription one because those are people who are pretty serious about this, and m- m- many of them are advanced in in mm-hmm. meditation, very advanced, mm-hmm. and so you know it's a different. Vibe, obviously.
2: Yeah, I think our friend uh, Susan Iontorno you know, has been coming there. The
1: retired uh, veterinary. Ve- re- retired vet. Uh, Where we Yeah, I know Susan. Her. She's very active on my website. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. She's, uh, she had, has very
2: unusual experiences.
0: Yeah. Uh. Okay, <laughs> I have a question. <laughs> what are the kobolds that you mentioned? I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. Well, in a no, new that's world. probably correct. Well,
1: I call them kobolds because they were first, the first reports of them come from medieval Germany and they were seen in mines and they were very dark, iridescent cobalt blue. Uh, And they were, were, uh, miners would see them. Now, I have had a relationship with them that goes way back into my childhood. In fact, one of the few memories from my childhood that is now, I now know is of this and is in normal memory. I didn't, it was just always there. I just didn't understand it was a wonderfully fun memory of being flying in this sort of dark blue raft over the neighborhood Hmm. And, uh, there were these little blue trolls in there and I were, I, there were a couple of other boys in the raft too. And, uh, I, I, and we were hanging out over the side, looking down at the houses and the little blue <laughs> guys were running around all nervous that we might fall off. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. So, and, and that was the only me- But I had many, many such experiences with them when I was a kid and I wasn't afraid of them at all. Hmm. Uh, I, I, they, they were a secret
0: though. This is from the secret school years.
1: Yeah. They yeah. were a big secret. You didn't tell anyone,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, I'm good at keeping secrets. I keep a lot of secrets, <laughs> and you know, I don't, I'm not aching to tell, you know, I can be counted on to keep secrets that need, mm. keep. let me put it that way. And, um, uh, I'm not involved in the government's disclosure BS or anything like that. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, yeah. but I can keep secrets. Uh <laughs> um, so, and I keep their, I keep the visitor secrets. They, they have things they don't want known, not because they, uh, are awful or anything, but because they expose vulnerabilities and they don't right. want, because they are vulnerable. And you see yeah. one of the greys in, in, in regular ordinary life. And, you know, you realize, you know, I could take that little guy and crush him with one hand. Yeah. And yeah. this is a, this is an incredibly evolved being here. This is someone of extraordinary inner, you know, you, it's just such, you know, it's just, they, they know that we don't value the lives of others much because they see how we treat each other. Right. And so they're very careful around us. And I think they're right to be.
2: Yeah, but yeah, yet in some ways, Whitley, they seem almost primitive, too. I mean, uh, in especially in the way they approach uh, people in the night uh, and don't ask permission. I mean, some UFO researchers think they're involved in a, like a devious plan to take over our world and turn us into farm animals. <laughs> uh, but you write that these encounters can be productive uh, to both sides. Uh, can you- yeah, you
1: have to make it. Yeah, And new world, if you can take it,
2: Right. if you mm. want to
1: just sit back passively and say, well, They didn't ask permission. And so I'm just going to, you know, not going (laughs) to, I'm just going to be pissed off. And that's it. That's all. That's all I'm going to do with this. Okay. That's your choice. Right. But that's not my choice. My choice was to say to myself, why in the world did this happen? And can I make something out of it? And now I have have a very rich relationship and it has been 30 years of work to do this. And one of the things that happens now is typical that, you know, I can detect their presence often when I can't see them because I've just been around them so much. Right. I'm so used to the fact that they, 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 they either hide in invisibility or, or are invisible. I'm not sure in any case, um, they will come. And this started in June of last year. One of them will come and, Lay down, kind of on my ankles, and they're very light, and you you can you 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 can feel this weight come down, and it's a signal. We're here, and we want to yeah, be yeah. with you. We want usually I will do the exercise then, uh-huh. um, and that can happen any time of the day or night, and pretty much any place. But here's the funny thing: why my ankles? Why not? You know, <laughs> like my chest or something. <laughs> The reason right. is, I can't get down there and touch down there fast faster than they can oh, get that's away. Interesting. Yeah. that's interesting. Uh-huh. That's why. I hmm. think. Because I wondered about that. Uh-huh. And, you know, they're comfortable with that. And that's fine. I've always, I've been saying to them lately, you know, I promise I won't touch you. But they don't really <laughs> trust me. They know <laughs> I'd, like, I'd like to touch them. They know. Well,
0: we're going to give you yeah. a hug.
1: <laughs> no, no, you know, do you... I mean, I want a more... I want a more
2: intimate and more physical relationship. Of right. course. Yeah.
0: yeah.
2: Whitley, do you think they're coming on crafts from somewhere else in the universe or are these uh, interdimensional beings that are just appearing?
1: All of the above. Okay. There's no question in my mind that some of them are from this universe. Mm-hmm. But they are not like us in that they already have they are they have an open reality where we have a barrier between us and the dead. They do not have that. Mm-hmm. Their living and their dead are integrated as one one entity, and that's that's what I say in
0: Afterlife Revolution that we should be that way. Yeah. So is this um, is this do you think connected to the number one thirty seven?
1: Well, that's an interesting question. You've obviously read a New World.
0: Right. Yes, I have. Yeah. I've also read the Wolfgang, that unusual friendship between Pauli and Jung yeah. well, about yes, the number one thirty six, which, which I, I also mentioned in your world. Well, the,
1: here's how I came to that particular number. Um, I was—I have an implant in my left ear, which has been incidentally doing a lot of interesting things lately that it hasn't <laughs> done before. But um, uh, I'm—I'm I'm not ready to go into that. But we'll have another okay meeting sooner or later. In any case, uh, what it it opens a slit in my right eye, and I can see words passing through that slit, but they pass through very quickly. And it's been explained to me that the, that <laughs> that what they are doing is they're not they're coming up from my unconscious mind into an area that's closer to consciousness, mm. um, and uh, I. The result of this is that I, um, I, I can't see, I can see them sometimes if I'm careful, Mm -hmm. you know, and looking against a bright white wall and I can see them and I can detect every 10th word maybe, but that Mm -hmm. is not necessary because it's bringing forward the information from within me usually. Mm -hmm. But I said to this implant, I said, look, I'm in the middle of writing a new world and I want, I know that somebody runs this thing and (laughs) I know that you can tell me things that I know nothing whatsoever about that would be useful in the book. Hmm. And so here comes the number 137. Oh, that's (laughs) so interesting. (laughs) And I, I I didn't know what to make of it. I didn't know what to do with it. Just a number. But then, but it's not <laughs> the way. Other way the implant works. It, it, things fall together. There's ah. synchronicities. You guys know a lot about those, right? right. And the next thing I knew, I would dis- I had stumbled on the fine structure constant, which is 1,137. Right. and I thought, my word.
0: Yep, the DNA of light.
1: <laughs> yeah, and here is this. You, know, what it is is this. We have physics has understood uh, uh, detected a number of constants. Uh, the Planck constant, the s- shortest possible distance between two objects. But we know why all of the other constants are what they are. We know we understand the laws of nature that make them what they are. The fine structure constant is totally arbitrary, right. and yet it is the fundamental constant upon which all of the structure of our reality is based. Yeah. If it was a different number, a different number it would we would not be this world would not be the same and most other numbers
0: it wouldn't even work at all right so where did it come from that's why richard Feynman said here's what you don't know and put the number 137 on his door you
2: know pauli considered uh, 137 as the root number of the universe uh, a primal number that uh everything in the world hinges on and uh so you know shortly after i read those paragraphs that you wrote about uh, one thirty seven an email popped up on my uh, <laughs> oh. my iPad, and it was from an uh, email from Florida uh, Light and Power, and it said, "Save one hundred and thirty seven dollars <laughs> a year." There's a good thing <laughs> uh, And uh, we actually went to Toronto for uh, uh, weird, weirder what uh, what what what's his weirder name?
0: one? um Captain Kirk. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, his show, Weird William Shatner. William Shatner's Weird or What. To, uh, yeah. And Trish uh, talked about uh, Wolfgang Pauli and the 137. We didn't really know why we were doing this uh, until we saw the show and how it all fit in. But while we went there, we got stuck in traffic and in Toronto. And we looked up, and there's this number one thirty seven on the side of this building in huge letters, and we encountered that three or four times oh, that, throughout that number, weekend. That weekend,
0: so, <laughs> so we thought, well, Polly's here welcoming us and yeah. bidding us goodbye. <laughs> there, there
2: is something special about that. Yeah, number. there really is.
1: Yeah, well, it is. It is the. It is the fundamental building block of reality, and mm-hmm. we don't know why it, it is. It's like what drove Wolfgang Pauli so nuts was. <clears throat> that it was, uh, it's arbitrary. And he said, it's like God decided, well, I, I like this number. This is what it's going to be. <laughs> and and uh, you, you, you don't have any, it's, it's free floating. There's no right. explanation for it. And I love that. I love the yeah, fact I mean, that it it's a mystery. It means that there's still something fundamental about the universe that we don't understand. And I think that's a beautiful reality, a beautiful truth.
2: Yeah, you've written, uh, it would seem that reality is not fixed at all, but more like an ocean that never stops moving. Uh, I think there's truth in that comment since our beliefs and perspectives seem to affect
1: our reality. That is the best way to look at it. And uh, the there are constants that, are, that don't change. And we know some, some of them are consistent across the entire universe. For an interesting reason, um, the, one of the mysteries of this universe is quantum indeterminacy, and we're solving that mystery. By the way, there, there's some work going on in physics right now that is going to solve it. And, uh, but it, 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 what it is means is this: that a particle is in an undetermined state until. It isn't, right. and that usually happens when it's observed, mm-hmm. and, and then it becomes a wave. No, it starts out oh, it's as the a wave. No, yeah, yeah, the opposite. Particle. Yeah, wave particle. Now, the question is: Is that pos- true across the universe? And a group of telescopes in Mallorca, I believe, in uh, in uh, in the Azores, I'm mean, not in Mallorca, in the Azores, were used to collect light from quasars at the opposite ends of the universe hmm. and this light performed in the double slit experiment exactly the same as light from a light bulb in the room right meaning that this this law is consistent across the entire universe hmm. it is part of what the universe is built on but these laws aren't reality they underlie reality right right uh, reality is very much determined by the observer. What we see in the world is our reality. And in the, in the book, in the, A New World, I discuss something called the Gettier Paradox. It was evolved by a philosopher called Edmund Gettier back in the 60s. And it shows that we can never be certain of anything hmm. at all. It's called, and here's an illustration of it, one of the many. This one happens to be called the cow problem. And a farmer has a cow that he's concerned about. Is the cow ill or not? So he's got the cow in a separate field to observe the cow during the day while he goes about his business. You mm-hmm. can see it from his barnyard. And in the field with the cow, there is a tree and a little hollow. If the cow wanders into the hollow, the farmer cannot see the cow. Uh, But aside from that, and the hollow is not big, and so he's not concerned about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, the cow is a heifer, it's black and white. The following events happen. The farmer is going about his business. The cow wanders into the hollow, and a piece of black and white paper blows into the field and gets caught under the tree. Hmm. The farmer, the cow is absolutely fine. The farmer glances into the field and sees the black and white paper under the tree and concludes that the cow is all right. He is both right and wrong at the same time. Yeah. He is right. The cow is indeed fine. He is wrong. He is looking at the paper, not the cow.
0: Hmm. Isn't this kind of like Schrodinger's cat?
1: He, a little bit. But it's, it's Schrodinger's cat in in everyday life, Right. because we we live, we see reality through the screen of the cow problem, right? And okay. that is why it is a sea that never stops moving. Mm-hmm.
2: That's an interesting explanation. Yeah, <clears throat> so when we met up with you in Casadega, Florida, a couple years ago, you remarked that. Abductions were dropping off because they have uh, have everything they need from us. Uh, can you elaborate on that?
1: They have everything they need from us. I'm not sure I understand. Can you repeat the question?
2: Yeah, okay. Uh, you remarked that abductions were dropping
1: off. There's not as many abductions oh, oh, yes. because that's they right. have everything I, they need. I, I think that that's exactly right. I think that they <laughs> do have everything they need from us. I think that they, um, that what they were doing, one of the many things they were doing, I mean, remember when they do something, they don't just do one thing, Right. they do everything possible (laughs) with (laughs) that. And one of the things they were doing, I'm fairly sure is making a a genetic picture of, of, of a certain type of human being in, on the theory that, that we might go extinct. And if we do, they might be prepared to re- reseed the species, either on Earth in later times or somewhere else. Hmm. And to do that, you need a lot of DNA because you don't, you can't uh, reseed it like you know Adam and Eve. That wasn't enough. We there were more than Adam, more than one Adam and Eve, or we wouldn't have a sufficient amount of DNA to to persist. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was one thing they were doing was collecting that. That's and they were obviously also at least experimenting with uh, with uh, birthing and so forth. That's why they collected sexual material. They collected eggs from women, and they certainly collected semen from me. I saw them do it. I was wide awake and watching it when it happened. I just couldn't do anything about it. And um, so they had all of that stuff. And what else they may have been doing, I don't know.
2: Mm-hmm. I thought you had an interesting perspective on their, the way they see our wars that have taken place that it mostly relates to reducing population and that it's
1: something that is more natural to happen. Yeah, they, 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 yeah, we are experiencing a population crisis mm-hmm. and, it, it, you know, <clears> throat> they, throat> they, 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 there are too many of us. And I think it's because we're badly designed maybe even by them. I mean, maybe we're designed species. I don't know, but Mm -hmm. either them or nature, but we've ended up in a situation where we have a high level of intelligence, excellent memories, naked bodies, and our genitals are toward the front and we don't have any seasonality.
0: Mm -hmm. So we're
1: just basically hopping and skipping and jumping into bed with (laughs) each other all the time. And, And, uh, and it's, uh, as they say, this is a poor planet. (laughs) It's poor, it's beautiful. And it's to us, we see it as a rich planet, but it's actually a poor planet. Mm. It's poor because there are too many of us Mm. and it can't sustain us. And there's this design imbalance. And I, I don't know if it's on purpose on some larger purpose or not. But right now, in any case, what happened was that they were here for thousands of years. they've always been here. Then something began to occur in the 20th century that made them concern concern them. Uh, they they the next thing you knew, the um, the uh, uh, the these wars broke broke out in, in these terrible wars, which the first world war, they, they look upon as a, as a population reaction because they say the old men decided to murder the young men. And if you look at nature, um, and the way uh, like a pride of lions works, uh-huh. the old lion will kill the young ones. If he can, <coughs> the young male lions, if he can, okay. um, and, um, the, uh, the, so that happened. So what was then world war the second world war happened and that was much worse. But the thing that was concerning, there were two things about it that were concerning. One is the Holocaust mm-hmm. and the other is the development and willingness to use nuclear weapons. Right. And you find that after that war ended, the, their involvement with mankind ramped up massively yeah, on long. many different levels, including mm-hmm. the physical level, the, the obtaining of DNA and sexual material in order to preserve the species. And the, the sexual material has been obtained and the DNA very carefully. You don't find violent people in hmm. the abduction community. They're all very mild-mannered And with maybe a few exceptions, but for the most part, they are a very mild-mannered group of people. Because that level of aggression is is not going to be in this species if it's reconstituted. It it will not be there
0: uh,
1: in the reconstituted species.
0: What about the Vietnam War?
1: So uh, what I think is going to happen is I think this planet is going to go through a tremendous crisis. I think it's in it now like corona. <laughs> well, coronavirus is uh, uh, again, it's a sign of of, of a popula- of population right. stress. Uh, do you you don't have are- things like that happen unless people are too unless there are too many people.
2: Yeah. Do you think and they have uh, anything to do with it?
1: No. Absolutely okay. not. Okay. They will the one thing <clears throat> that is so precious is our freedom. <clears throat> they will not people say, "Well, why don't they come help us?" Because the second we're face to face with them, we are no longer free because we're going to be looking for their cell phones and their cook pots and their (laughs) magic and, uh, our own journey, our own journey will be over. Uh Uh, Our journey is up to us and that is going to stay the case. Mm. They're not going to, they, they might, I can't, I can conceive of them intervening more openly under, certain very very dire circumstances like nuclear disaster or something
0: yeah
1: but i think that it's i think that they expect the species to die back mm-hmm. a lot and i i would i can't say how much but i would say maybe 90% or more wow. over the next <laughs> That's a lot 100 or so years yeah it is a lot and um then the the then the planet will uh reconstitute itself will mm-hmm. rebuild itself you can see even when you know there's no pollution much now because everybody's right. staying at home and the whole planet's whole ecology is changing right. and mm-hmm. repairing itself very quickly so uh, it will repair itself and and we'll go on still free because this is the important thing the i mean I'm I'm free but I'm also with them and but this takes immense immense emotional and mental discipline Uh you can't you cannot you cannot be just on a daily basis with them i've tried many times to do that there's one of them in particular that i've said why don't you come live in here live (laughs) with me for a while i'm serious i mean i'm quite close to them this person could come and live here. She could live in this house, in this apartment for a few days or a few weeks. I would get a lot out of it. But what I would not do is open myself in such a way that I no longer had the freedom of being inside the stream of time. Uh They're not in it. They're outside of it looking in because they're simply too knowledgeable. They have, they know too much. Mm -hmm. I would never, never do that. And she, they know that, but they still, she's, you know, she's unwilling. So far, we've gotten close a couple times. It might happen. But you said not gonna, there will be no pictures of her. There will be nothing said. Right. Yeah. But uh, but I will. I would gain from from that from that hmm. greatly if but I you... could have some some real quality time, face to face in the physical.
2: But uh-huh. you've also said you've also written that it's dangerous to get too close to them because. You oh, yeah. you learn too much about yourself
1: about, <laughs> about your future. Is, what I was saying there is that you don't want to learn. You don't want to be. Uh, uh, you don't want to. You don't want to get so close to them that you're drawn out of the time stream. Right. We're mm-hmm. in the time stream to learn, and uh, the, the beauty of the situation is that if they can watch us from outside the time stream, they can learn too. It's Hmm. like when I do the sensing exercise, I can let them into my body in time, and they can experience the 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 novelty of life just like I do. Hmm. And they're clamoring; they're clamoring to do this. They want this. This is, I, I, it's a form of sacred entertainment. I think be the best (laughs) way to describe it. And people think, oh well, they want to take us over and invade. No, they don't.
0: Because that ruins their fun. <laughs> wow, that's so interesting. What he just said, fun. Yeah. When yeah. This, this is about
1: fun and fun yeah. and laughter. And, and it's, it's, some it's, it's serious fun. And sometimes it's pretty hard fun. But if it's not fun, then somebody's doing something wrong. <laughs> and, you know, the night I had my initiatory experience, it was not fun. But I made it my own. Mm-hmm. And now my life with the visitors is fun. For them wow. and for me. Yeah. Now the Have next thing, thing you know, I'll you? be eaten and that'll be it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> had they taken you outside of time? Ever? I mean, I know you go outside of time in your meditations, but...
1: Yeah, I do in my meditations, but... Because I've you had some
0: experiences, with experiences Whitley, like that time you stepped off the, the, the curb in New York. Well, I don't
1: know whether I was outside of time or falling well, on my falling ass in, in, in time. <laughs> <laughs> that moment. That was an experience where I I went back in time.
0: Uh
1: Um, And, you know, there is no... I I don't think you can go back in time and change the past. Mm -hmm. But I do think you can be in it. Right. You can be in it. And maybe to an extent you can change it, but not much. Because the grandfather paradox is going to prevent that. We know that because we've sent hypothetical photons back in time Mm -hmm. and we cannot, they, they will never come into contact with themselves. Mm -hmm. Therefore (laughs) the grandfather paradox is an absolute of, of, of time, but that Uh. doesn't mean that they, that that there can't be observation. And I think it might not also mean that you might be able to cheat the grandfather paradox to trick it in Mm. effect and one of the ways to do that might be if you're coming from the future, and there are no aliens at all. Hmm. If you present yourself as aliens, you might have a lot more freedom of action than hmm. you otherwise, because there are no real aliens. Therefore, you're you're occupying a space in a place in space time that's empty. Diane. Hmm. That's just one of many theories. That was one of Anne's favorite theories. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> I think, well, I think, you know, if you go on the premise of it's all true, you don't have to make decisions about, well, that's true, and therefore this right. must not be. You just have to realize that these things are all possible.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. and there's also the theory that if you killed, you went back in time and killed your grandfather, what they'd be doing, you'd be splitting reality into a, a, a multiverse. New, a multiverse where uh, you you're following the uh, the line of reality where the grandfather exists. Well, even though you killed him, that that's another line of reality where your your consciousness
1: doesn't exist. Well, right, exactly. And so you might have more freedom of action there too. Yeah. So yeah. Wh- what's the
2: message that the visitors are offering us? The primary message, if there is one.
1: Yeah, the, uh, there is, uh, and it's not just from me. It's from the whole, it's from the whole texture of the abduction experience and all the reports. One is, the planet's in peril, and you need to do something about it. You need to save yourselves. We're mm-hmm. not going to save you. It's your choice. Uh-huh. Um, number two is that your freedom is of essential importance. Uh, to you if you don't have freedom you don't have anything
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, and this is incidentally why they are most invested in the freest countries huh. uh, uh, because the freedom freer the soul the more interesting that it is to the visitors hmm. because the more the richer its experience of, of being that's fascinating in the, yeah in the sense that it has more decisions it can make on its own. Huh.
0: Or, I had never um,
1: thought of that—that that they wouldn't be in repressive countries. At that, them, that yeah. not as much. No, there are some. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some everywhere, but not as much.
2: Um, do you? Uh, final question. I think we're running out of time yeah, here. At, do you? Do Just you? Talk th- your ear off. <laughs> do you think that science will come to recognize the presence of other intelligent beings on the planet
1: in your um, lifetime? Or it is possible. It's possible, but I—I I think it would throw our science for a loop by, you know, Rusty Schweikert was an astronaut and I, think I haven't talked to him in years and years and years, but I was talking to him years ago, at a world affairs conference at the university of Colorado in Boulder. And he was a very adamant skeptic about the whole UFO thing. And I was ex- describing my experiences and he said, you know, Whitley, I can't tell where you're coming from, but I will, I know this. I don't want the path to Mars to be well worn, <laughs> and, and you know he—that is a truth. It's so mm. important because if you if you if you take a, a a scientist who is exploring the edge of reality, and you put him face to face with one of the visitors who already knows what it is, <laughs> his whole life is ruined. Yeah, yeah that's he a good point. Ruined. <laughs> wow. you know they're not here to ruin our lives. they're here to enjoy our lives mm-hmm. and and a lot of ways, some of which are not pretty and that we don't like and that's okay. that's in my book too. You'll see that as well and and uh, uh, but uh they are they are tough birds and they are predators just like us
2: mm-hmm.
1: so mm-hmm. you've gotta be you've gotta be aware of all that. Uh, you got to be and you you know when you're with them uh, you are careful you are very careful because you are dealing with uh predators and they mm-hmm. their their prey is the soul and wow. now you, you can you can relate to them and you can open yourself to them in a way that they don't want to take from you that they want to they want to be partners with you or you can run and if you run it's just the same as happens in nature the lion's going to catch you hmm. yeah you've talked about them actually entering you yeah oh they do all the time every night mm-hmm. yeah that's that's the main experience now mm-hmm. hmm. Hmm. which is fine by me i don't mind i like it i'm i it i get a lot out of it frankly if I didn't have that relationship I would be very lonely. And well, they, so they they get it, they get a lot out of it too because I'm very good at opening the door to my to my experience in the flow of time to them. Hmm. So Well,
0: do you have like information downloads from them when this happens? Sure. Yeah. Uh,
1: from time to time, but they're very they're very constrained because you know, they know me. Uh-huh. I'm the man who tried to steal a like saucer once. I'm not going to get into <laughs> that. Now. We're running out of time. That's for another yes, time. Both. Oh, this is but, just um, great, Whitley. Yeah, uh, you know, very, they, they, very they don't forget stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and they know perfectly well, if I got the chance, I would do it again. <laughs> and I'm here, I'm here to get whatever I can out of it. I'll take whatever I can. I'm not particular um, and that's another reason that the little one that I want to live here doesn't want to come here because I'm afraid she's afraid I might might take a little more than um, than, than they want taken, and yeah. she's she's right to be afraid. That's oh. right.
0: Oh, this has been fantastic. Thank you
1: very much. Thanks for joining
2: the mystical underground. Visit www.themysticalunderground.com for the latest blog post and book info. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Listen to the podcast at podcast.themysticalunderground.com. Follow Trish and Rob on Instagram at Trish and Rob McGregor. Follow us on Twitter at The Mystic Cast. Send email to podcast at themysticalunderground.com.
1: And until next week, thank you for listening and stay mystical.